is going to take place 22 years before our campaign begins. That places the year squarely at 351 of the fourth era. What time of the year do you think your family is making this trip? Sorry, we're making a trip? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I think maybe like early summer. Cool. So it's June-ish? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. They, it's just a weird fluke in this fantasy world. They use the Julian calendar. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, who would have thought, but they totally do. We're translating all of the, you know, none of them are speaking English. And so when we say July, that's really just the translation of uh, their Uh, month. Yeah, no, that's, and you've nailed it. Yeah, so we're just kind of sparing, yeah, the listener, the work. Yeah, you're welcome. You, Chanterelle Burdock, are with your family, and you guys are on a trip. You're going from your ranch outside of San Porta, Mm -hmm. a small town in one of the states of Vega. Portico uh, sits on the southern shore of the Great Inland Sea, or sometimes called the Sea of Vion. It is a sort of large kidney-shaped sea that is smack dab in the middle of Vega. It's got a kind of Mediterranean vibe, not too deep water. There are small sort of tropical islands scattered throughout the middle of it. There are like white rocky shores, a lot of cliffs. And it is the supposed birthplace of the sailing tradition. Your family owns a giant eagle ranch and are coming to the city Portavio. Portavio is a state capital, and it is an ancient medieval city. When it was first built, it was sort of built monolithically on the side of this, like, 150-foot cliff. And buildings and whole areas of it were sort of carved out. But it is, that part of the city isn't really used anymore. It's fallen into ruin and disrepair. Now it's still a thriving port. You've you've sailed here in a boat that your family owns, and you're kind of like docking it here. You also came with a pretty precious cargo, huh? A grip of giant eagles. And the port actually goes like under the cliff, and then things are loaded up on these, you know, up and up. They have these huge elevators, freight elevators, that are rope and pulley and plank. And there's dozens of them that sort of climb up the face of this cliff. And they used to be pulled by hand, and now they're pulled by, like, giant, thrumming, stinking steam engines that probably make riding these elevators one of the worst parts of this trip. (laughs) Now don't get too close, your mother says. (laughs) Why Why does it smell like that? Well, it's because it's burning cold, your brother Billis says. Just... Keep your hands at your side, please, your father says. I just, we don't need to deal with burns before we go. This is a very big trip for us. You're riding these elevators up, and you're going past these old monolithic ruins. The whole areas of the city carved into this cliff face that just aren't used, are roped off, or are just vacant. And it's always creepy, too. In fact, actually, why don't you make an ego check... I'm going to make a mental uh, stress attack against you. Yeah, are, are we on this elevator with all of the eagles? No, no, no. This is just you. Okay. Your eagles are still down in the port area. Okay. You're going to take one mental stress here just from, like, the ride. And it's creaky. And the last time you were here, these steam engines powering these elevators weren't attached. And now they're literally, like, riding up with you. And there's a an attendant, and that is shoveling coal into it sporadically, quite lazily, not doing a very good job of paying attention to mm-hmm. it. You know, no safety precautions are being taken here by anybody. Mm-hmm. There's not even a railing. It's just, like, planks that are, like, held together by rope. And you finally get to the top, and, you know, your brother's holding your hand, and... It's all right. We're here. And this is Billis. He's the next oldest of your three brothers. He's 15. You're 12. 
Oh, stop treating her like a baby, Dario says, your oldest brother. Clintock laughs, your other brother. I'm not, but it's okay if she's afraid, Billis says. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid, it's just the... I don't, the smell is the smell. It stinks, Billis says. Maybe you need to change your diaper, <laughs> Clintock says. Be quiet, both of you, your mother says to your older brothers. All of you, please, together. You too, she says to the older brothers. Mouths shut. You stay by my side, she says to you. Okay. Your mother kind of beelines ahead and, and sort of leads you guys through the city. The city itself has sort of turned into this sprawling, very square, grid-based city that's on top of the cliff. Large yards cut out, smaller square buildings, very modern design, a lot of brick. Doesn't go very high. And it's a boring place for a 12-year-old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're a little older now, but especially when you're younger, I think coming here was probably the worst part of the year. Yeah, okay. And it's a trip you guys make at least once a year mm-hmm. to sell the eagles. Once a certain number of them reach maturity, you, you, you bring them into market and try and either find a contract to supply you for a year or find private buyers that you can strike some sort of deal. She seems quite familiar with like the layout of this. and She hails a carriage at a certain point. You all hop in and kind of ride a little bit through town. <laughs> and this is maybe a more interesting part of the, you know, like kind of riding through the town. You get to see a little bit of, of the diversity. There's street performers in this town. There are big music halls. Like that part of it is, is very good. And it's a part, I think, of what, what is tough to come to the city, too, is that you're never allowed to like stop and enjoy them. <laughs> Yeah. They have these like famous concert halls on top of this cliff, you know, like overlooking the, the Sea of Vion. You know, you just drive past and hear like the string music playing or, you know, someone singing or crowd of people laughing. And we left. I think I would be looking for like animals as well. Why don't you give me a luck check? Okay. Minus three. Okay. Normally there's some cool animal shows. Mm-hmm. Here you're looking and you see there's some singers. There's like hustlers who are, you know, find the lucky lady kind of. And the only animal show you see is a bear. And the bear is uh, like an iron manacled collar on. Like a, a chain. And someone is, is holding the chain and the bear is balancing on like a big wooden ball. Not doing a great job of it either. And the man with the chain is using it to kind of like hurt the bear. I'm going to, like, grab Billis's shirt, kind of, and be like, why, why is he doing that? It's like Mother says. We take the time to respect the animals that we train to ride. Using their service, we pay back in kindness to them. But not everyone holds to those Aetherite traditions. Not, not everyone wants to do it her way. And the older you get, you'll start to see there are many trainers and ranchers who use force to control their animals. But doesn't it hurt them? There's a place for it, one of your brothers says, if you do it just enough. No, don't listen to them, Billis says. And your mother is kind of nodding along with like, sometimes a little force is necessary. You know, she's like, yeah, yeah, but Billis is like, not with animals, at least. I would like to, uh, is the guy with the bear within earshot? Sure. I would like to call out and be like, you don't need to do that, you know? Okay. <laughs> Are you trying to make a mental attempt? Um, I'm just trying to convince him, I think. Like, I think okay. I genuinely think that I can tell him that he doesn't have to use force. Uh, give me a personality check. Okay. That's a minus two. I got a one, so I succeed with style. Cool. He kind of stops and looks at you in the crowd, a very meager crowd that's watching, kind of laughs at him. A 12-year-old is like, it seems like your bear act sucks and you suck as a person. Um, And he, like, scoops up, like, a handful of the bear's poop and, like, throws it at your carriage as it's going. (gasps) Get inside this carriage now, your mother says. Sorry. What have I told you? All of you, she says. Respect nature. No, be quiet. Oh, okay. (laughs) This is a very stressful time for us, your father says, without really any kind of effort to mean it. I don't think my 12-year-old brain understands the concept of stress very well, but I nod as though I agree that it's a very stressful time for all of us. Yeah, and the the chief reason for that is because over the last decade, the art and the care and the use for giant eagle riding has sort of become passe. It's hard to do, and it's dangerous as hell. 
They've never really got a saddle that works, that can hold you on and stay on the eagle. So it's really, you're half at the mercy of the eagle. And if it wants to dump you, it does. And it usually does so at a fairly deadly height. And the onset of sort of hot air balloon slash early, early dirigibles has started to prove that there are probably other safer alternatives. Mm -hmm. So it's been pretty hard, especially the last couple of years. You have not had any long-lasting contracts. You've managed to sell some eagles here and there. But I probably even think you've had to sell some of the land and some of your you know, assets and parts of your ranch to make ends meet, downsize some of the helpers. So it's like truly just a family business at this mm -hmm. point. So that's sort of why everyone's fairly tense as you come to, to this provincial capital. And they're, they're coming here to meet with a civil minister. Her name's Felicia Albus. She's a, a civil minister of transportation. I don't know. I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> and Billis kind of, you know, ruffles your hair and your brothers roll their eyes because it's you know, like a, you know, a donkey. You guys go through the city and come to this fairly large manor. It has like a big sort of stone annex built on the side of it. And love a good annex. It's great. It's good annex work. And so you get outside this and this is the minister's office. And you, you go inside, there's a sort of bureaucratic approach to this. There's like a series of waiting rooms and they're checking papers, which your father produces. And you go inside and wait and then eventually are told the minister is not going to be able to see you today. And your mother is like, ah, yes, of course I understand. And she's like swearing in Viennese, like outside. They invite us here, they tell us to come. <laughs> she's like pretty pissed. You know, your father is just kind of like, well, maybe we can find some food and check in with our lodgings. And I know that they said last time they wouldn't put us up, but I, I was able to arrange for an inn that will take us. What do you think, 12-year-old Chanterelle 12 year old Chanterelle. I think she's aware of the seriousness of her family. And so she might not want to, like, fully disobey her parents at at this particular stage unless there was something she saw that was like super engaging you know what i mean oh, for sure yeah yeah with a negative three luck check there's really not too much that catches your eye yeah you're like almost looking for it yeah i think i'm like waiting for something cool to happen and it doesn't which is why porta bio sucks yeah <laughs> At dinner that night, though, at the inn, they do have, like, a seafood sort of chowder that they serve. Your parents start talking about what they're going to do. And your mother says, I think the answer is simple. We have used our words. We have tried to tell them the beauty, the grace, the power. We must show them, huh? We will take Dario. We will take Clintock. We will take myself. And we will fly them, huh? We will take her on their backs. Your father's like, we could do that. Are we sure that's safe? And Dario's like, Father, we've been flying both of us for years. We, you know we can handle the eagles. And, you know, your mother's nodding. And Bilius, you will fly too. It will be your first to do so in public, but you have trained. You are old enough. Dario and Clintock sort of start bragging, too, about like how awesome it is to fly. Mom. 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 Yes, little one. I want to I wanna fly one. Can I fly one? Someday, of course, you will fly proudly beside me, just like your brothers. No, today I want to help the family. We can, I can, I, I've been watching. I, I, I know how Billis flies. Please, I can do it. I want to help. Right now, it would help. Do not fly. You, girl, you have barely sat on the back of one. You might watch your brothers, but it is so much more than where do you put your leg and how do you hold the reins. It is a mindset. You must speak to the animals. You must know the animals, and this you are not ready to do. I do know them. We've been traveling with them, and I've been hanging out with them all the time. Not just their names, Dario says. <laughs> and Clintock laughs. Yes, you must feel what they feel. You must know their urges. And he's, like, taunting you. He's going to create an advantage on okay. you. Yeah, he succeeds with style. So he has, I believe I can fly, and he puts that on you. And all three of your brothers get to fly, and your mom is just shuts it down. I'm going to go then right ahead here and compel, I believe I can fly, and give you a fate point. And I'm just going to say, for the rest of the scene, your, your motivation here is, like, you've gots to fly. I've gots to. <laughs> but, Mom. I want to become one with the eagle. <laughs> you will. It's, look, it's not as cool as they say, Billis says. Mother, it will just be easier. I'll sit here with Chanterelle. You three go fly. You're better flyers than me anyways. No, we must show them a full formation. If we have four... Mom, 
you know, kind of looks at you. <sighs> fine, fine. Your mother says, in Viennese, your affection for your sister is admirable, but we cannot keep her soft. It's okay, Billis. You can go. I'll be okay. It's not as exciting as they say. He lies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you go to bed. Does she do anything through the night, or how does this work? I dream <laughs> of flying nice. with my eagle. Yeah. She dreams the warg dream. <laughs> we become one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do wake up, though, with a start. Not because you've been dreaming, but because the whole world is turned upside down. There are bells peeling out across the city in a way that is not normal and not like, oh, pretty music. It is, these are like alarming bells. And you can hear random sort of almost not panic, but knowing shouts on the streets and a buzz downstairs. Is anyone with me uh, in the room? I would think you've got like a suite, you know, like a block of rooms. I think you probably have your own little situation. Okay. Like downstairs would be like the common area. I'm busting on down there in my pajamas then. You, as you go down, you see your family is gathered. Other other people in this inn have all gathered in this common room. And they're all just, the whole place is like filled with voices over talking each other. Like, what more do we know? Are they coming here? How many died? What happened? Elle, here, please, your mother says. What's, and she like calls you up. What's happening? What's going on? And the bartender kind of like slams his fist on the bar over and over again. It's jarring. And everyone in the inn kind of has a moment. And he says, everyone calm down. One at a time, please. Been an attack, Dario says. They attacked. They attacked Vega, Clintock says. That's, that's where we live. It's, it's okay. They're not going to come here, Phyllis says. Yeah, the, the full story is you kind of get it over the next sort of hour. Mm-hmm. Overnight, not far from here, just like on the Sea of Vion, the HMS Pacificus was attacked by Dwazi terrorists and burnt to the timbers. They, they claimed the attack. Do I know much about the Dwazi? They're the big bad guys. Okay. Like, they're the big scary army that's been shooting people for a couple of years now. Yeah, okay. Somewhere else, but like, they have been taking over more and more. People are like, this seems like this could become a problem. I'm just going to grab Billis's arm. It's okay. They're not coming here, he says. 36 people died. Dang. Servicemen on the ship and an admiral also in the Royal Navy. And a Dwazi flag was flown, left behind on like the burnt remains of the ship. Your family comes to life with the news, which is weird for a 12-year-old to see. They're excited. Your brothers are ready to like go kick some fucking dwarf ass. Mm-hmm. Your mom and dad are like, this will save our business. We're going to sell this minister for sure today. Do you think there'll be a draft? Billis says, like, looking concerned. He's 15, so he's, like, right on the border of the age they might draft. And your father says no, and your mother says yes. Is this, like, one of those times where force is good? And your mother turns to you and kneels and looks at you dead in the eyes and says, Yes, child, this is a time when force is good. I nod, like, really wisely as though I understand everything now. Yeah, I'm definitely into it with them. I'm like, yeah, get the Dwatsies. They're talking up how awesome this show is going to be. How they're going to be able to show like even younger people like like Darius and Clintock, people of drafting age, are going to be able to fly these eagles. Young people can fly these eagles. She says, we will show the minister. Um, and this is where that compel is really going to come in, to believe I can fly. I'm a young people. <laughs> Chanterelle starts getting an idea, yes. <laughs> and your parents and your brothers, the people of the city and the minister of transportation, they all get very busy. But you are largely left alone, mm-hmm. all but forgotten here today. You also see through the course of the day the eagles are brought up. And they are put on display in this big courtyard. And the large leather tarps that cover up their huge wooden cages are pulled off. And the eagles are in there in their leather masks, kind of calmly sitting on their perches. And I think our scene comes to this. What does Chanterelle do? I'm running up to that door, running up to the latch. All right. What we're going to do here is start Baby's first challenge. 
Skill challenges are a fate core staple, one of the three encounter types where, given the things that are going to need to happen, we're going to call for a series of checks. The subpoena monster will make them, lock them in, and then I will interpret their results to explain exactly how this scene ends. So, what I'm going to need is a sneak check mm -hmm. to get there unseen. A plus four to stealth. A trailcraft check to approach the birds correctly. Ooh, that's going to be a plus six trailcraft. Jesus. An awareness check. Four. Plus four. A bravery check to overcome the fear of approaching a gigantic eagle. Uh, plus two. And finally, a ride check. Three. Locking those in? Yes. You <laughs> creep up to the door. You're looking all around. You're checking to see, is anyone coming? Is this guy coming back? No one. And you're small. So you can tuck away when someone does peek through. You kind of sneak out these little side doors and get outside. And you wend your way along the side of the building and go out to this big courtyard. You approach and you have watched your brothers, you have watched your mother, you have read the books, you have watched the YouTube tutorials, and you are ready. You approach these things. I make like some soothing noises. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it kind of approaches. It's like allowing you to touch it. You, you take the mask off and like make contact like you're supposed to. And it gets up close. And as you kind of are standing there and it's making eye contact with you, you look over and you see your mother has followed you out here. You didn't notice. She's just watching. She doesn't make a move to stop you. And as she's watching you and she sees like how well you've done, she gives you a nod. Just like, do it. I nod back. Yeah. Um, I think I start smiling a little bit, too. And you open the cage, and it kind of hops back, and, like, it knows what it's doing, and it sort of starts, like, it's drooping down, like it's getting you on. It's already been saddled up and stuff. Mm -hmm. And as you get in, you sort of make up. You're getting excited, like you said. You're smiling. You move a little fast, and it flinches and caws at you. You take two mental stress. And then you do approach, though, this trailcraft check really kicks back in here. That plus six is just too good. And you calm it down and you hop on its back and it hops up on the rim of the cage it was in and takes off. You are riding on its back and it is everything. The wind is in your hair. I'm constantly looking back at my mom too. And you can just see she's got her fists up like my girl <laughs> watching you fly away on this thing. It's like tilting and you're riding it through the city and it swoops on this building where there's people on top and they're like whoa you know. And the, I wave. Yeah music is swelling and you wave and this thing does a barrel roll and you fall plummeting down into a giant tree reaching up from the city street below. It's October. The year is 356. It's the fourth era. 17 years before the campaign is going to begin. We're a few years into the war already. You volunteered through the chaplain's brigade. Mm-hmm which is attached to the army through the way of the saint. But it is also official army. That's like a joint for moneyed individual, for like rich sons. Sure, yeah. For them to quote-unquote see combat. <laughs> yes, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Through binoculars. <laughs> yeah. At a safe distance <laughs> right. with chauffeurs. <laughs> and as a chaplain brigadier, your tasks are mostly to assist the chaplain, who is a teller in the way of, as it would happen, Morrigan, an older gentleman by the name of Francis Castle. He's a lieutenant in the army and also a teller. We, we kind of open the scene up with the March of Boots. It's Operation Featherfall. You guys are, are on the move. Your whole battalion, which is not much of one, it's, it's about 100 people, yeah. uh, has been put in charge of evacuating a northern Vega shoreline west of the country of Redolio. It is basically the northern part of the state of Miria. The Duatsi forces, the enemy, has broken through a naval blockade that they weren't really supposed to be able to. And they're coming here. And the Duatsi are what they call the combined forces of the two main countries of the sort of fascist invasion force. Gotcha, yeah. It's mostly dwarven is who you're fighting. But there are some humans in there too. And the Continental Battalion is days away still. And there's this small little fishing village here that you guys have been put in charge of evacuating. 
essentially, you're ceding this land to the Dwatsi as they come. This land, this whole area, is not like the richest. It's, think Scotland, but all Highland. Okay. Right. So it's <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty. <laughs> it's hard land. Hardy. Yeah. Hardy, it's, hardy land. <laughs> it's rocky and it doesn't produce a lot. It you takes know. more than it produces. Yes, yeah, it yeah. does. And yeah. it has bred a stubbornness and a pride in its citizenry as well. And Teller Castle, your lieutenant, the man in charge, uh, this is, think like kind of a looming, shaggy, almost fearsome guy, even though he's not me. And, and he would just say, these men and these women, they're not going to want to leave, but you're going to have to do everything you can to make them. If they stay, well, the Dwatsi ain't going to give them any mercy. You know, I'll pause a moment, and, you know, at this point I probably have a pamphlet of Morrigan. And I kind of, like, clutch it, like, in my inner coat. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get them evacuated in, in Morrigan's name. See to it. And you're off, like, kind of going house to house as you do this. Uh, so we're going to start a contest. It's you versus the citizenry. Now, again, this is a contest, so you can use any number of skills to convince them. And they'll defend with an appropriate skill as well. I don't know if you remember how contests work. We're each going to roll. Yep. Yep. High dice gets a point. First mm-hmm. three wins the contest. This is not going to represent one conversation. This is sort of like your day's work as you're going house sure. to house. Yep. Like, yep. You know, grizzled, bearded, toothless <laughs> people are yeah. beating you here. And they're like, I ain't afraid of no roller coaster. <laughs> but, you know. So. How are you going to start? What, what skill are you going to use to try and convince them? You know, I, I mean, I feel like... Just is getting pretty high on Morgan at this point. Um, he hasn't like fully converted over, but he has the brochures. You know, he's he's seen the how-to videos. He's like ready to get into this. So, I mean, I think he would use hope. Like he would he would sermonize down the streets as best he can. I mean, at this point, uh, it's going to be awkward, right? He has not done this before, but he knows that Castle is here and he wants to impress Castle. You know, he's probably, as he's, like, walking towards the first house, like, pep-talking himself up, like, all right, now, just think about what they say in the pamphlet, right? All of this will be better once you follow Morgan, and you, you find his his, his, his shiny um, uh, lacy beard. No, not the beard. What is it? A shield? I don't... I can't remember what it says there. Uh, and I'll... I'll uh, yeah. All right. And then give us a hope check as you start here. <laughs> I get a four. <laughs> we are going to roll uh, straight off of ego. Do I got a one? So you succeed with style. You get two points. Nice. You come out and you're stuttering and like stammering and talking yourself up. And this face looks you up and down and he sees your insignia. And he kind of arches an eyebrow and all of the anxiety and all of the questions you may have had just fade away. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I see the uh, the Morgan above his mantle. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And, you know, one by one, you're reading them. You're being like, oh, I see you already understand the name of justice. And part of that is living to fight another day to dispense it and all this. Did you know that my, my name is Just? <laughs> what kind of a name is Just? I, I reckon that Morgan called me here because of justice. And my name is Just. It's fate. He looks at the gun at your hip. You ever shot that thing? A few times. <laughs> I prefer the good the good word of Morgan over the, the good gun of Morgan. Yeah, I only shot mine a few times, too. And I'll put my hand on his shoulder. Well, I guess we're brothers in this, then. Yeah, I guess all of us is Vega in this together, huh? We are. All right, we'll fall back, like you say. Now, if you could maybe get some other people, and I imagine maybe that's like the plus two, right? I can yeah. like get him to like get some other people involved yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah it's rolling, and, and you spend most of the day working, and almost everyone you talk to agrees to leave, and the yeah. people that don't, the rest of the villagers convinced to go. Gotcha, yeah. All right, so that gives you two points and them one. Yeah. As the day goes on, do you keep this line up? Do you switch gears? You know, I, I feel like he would probably get like i want to do a bravery check for his other one even though i'm not real great at that but i feel like he'd be emboldened right from his successes like okay this whole town must worship morgan like everybody seems to i mean they all listen to that other guy that i talked to so yeah i'm gonna make a bravery check on my next one even like a couple of the other like acolytes come up and they're like they're all agreeing to go it's like morrigan's standing beside me i think he's here right now with all of us and then i get a one on my bravery 
They're just going to roll at an even keel. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> all, all right. This is Morgan's day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's clearly not as smooth. And as you're going on, you can see desperation is making up a lot of people's minds. It's less your efforts. Like, it, you know, it's less the eloquence and the poignancy of your, of your points and more they're just like, the sun is going and the Dwatsi are supposed to arrive at some point today. I think this is important for Just, though, because I don't think he sees it that way. I think he takes all of this as Morrigan. Awesome. Like, oh, well, goodness, like, they're all, this has to be the way. Like, he was, you know, like I said, he's been reading the literature. He's been kind of dabbling in it. But now he's like, you just come in here and you say Morgan and everyone does whatever you want. <laughs> the last family that you wind up talking to doesn't agree to leave. They're Humes. And uh, he introduces himself as George Fennec, and I lived in this house my whole life. I was born here. My pappy was born here. And if you think I'm going to turn tail because some Dwatsi scum is coming, well, <laughs> they're going to face the whole Fennec clan. And he kind of opens the door all the way, and you can see he's got a gun on his hip. His wife is loading a shotgun, and he has three older children. They're all arming themselves also. I know every inch of land around here, and this ain't just my house. It's my fortress. And if they's gonna come through here, well, they's gonna have to get through Fortress Fennec. Well, sir, as much as I can respect that, I I don't think the... I feel like I would need to make a hope check here for him. I got six on my hope check. So I'll say, good sir, I can respect fighting for your family and fighting for your house and your your fortress. Because clearly you have built something great here. It's not a beautiful house. (laughs) I'm guessing I can see that, too. Yeah. But these people, they ain't coming to steal your house. And they ain't coming to steal your fortress. They're coming to steal your dignity. Now, what I believe is that investing in tomorrow and following the light of Morrigan is better than dying today. Now, we might look at each other right now and you might disagree with me and say that you can fend off a whole army. And you know what? Looking at your scrappy clan here, I bet you could fend off a good many. And one of the kids drops some bugs. They're all great at, at what they're doing. But I think if we, if we retreat here today, we can regroup and imagine, imagine the glory. Riding with Morgan and seeing everybody see your clan on the battlefield of tomorrow, but not today. Don't let them steal your dignity. Don't let them kill you in your own fortress. Because at some point, we're going to march back and kill them in their fortress. Well, that's a a mighty nice thought and powerful pretty words you got. I'm sure the church is right proud of you and your service. They, They are. But right now, I ain't got no tomorrow if I leave everything behind. This house, this home, this is my everything. I'm sorry, but some of the other folks in town here, they, they got small minds. And they think the saints gonna carry them across their backs up into the night sky. But here, we Phoenix, we ain't got much use for saints. This, and he picks up some salt. You know, in like a container. This, he knocks on his wall. These are the things that we can count on. Now, maybe you'll march up to their fortress and take them, and maybe you won't, but I'll tell you one thing. They ain't never gonna take mine. Surely some of you can see, and I'll I'll make eye contact with the wife. Surely. And you can see in her eyes that she does, but she also casts them down and says, My fate as a fennec is the same as all of ours. Sir, surely there must be something. There is. Have one last drink with me. And he disappears inside the house and comes kind of scattering out. And he has this old looking bottle of wine, a vintage unit you have not heard of. Well, I, I guess I, I couldn't turn you down on that. I admire your bravery and your commitment. And he nods and <coughs> pulls it out. And he kind of steps outside with you and closes the door behind him. And some simple cups. He kind of pours the wine in. And gives Thank you. Some. Thank you. And he says a Something in, in uh, vacant, the vacant tongue, which is kind of like Latin. Uh, a prayer. And he kind of sips at his wine and looks at the water for a moment. They're going to come soon, ain't they? Yeah, they're coming. 
Well, I thank you for your help, but I don't see how there's anywhere we could run to to make this right. I know we's gonna die, but we's gonna give him hell before we do. Dumps his wine out and goes back in his house. I can, I can respect that. Then please leave my family in peace until there ain't none left. And he's got a crazy look in his eye. So, so was my mission to evacuate everyone? Yeah. And unfortunately, no matter what you do, he won't leave. And you hear a whistle from far behind the command area, like um, yeah, half a mile away, sort of up on a hill overlooking the village. Yeah, time to come home. Oh, I'll take off, yeah. And as you're going, you climb up the hill, you can see the scattered few. A lot of the guys came back before this. It's about 4, 430 at this point. The sun's dipping. And as you climb up the hill, you look behind, you can see the first of the Dwatsi ships on the horizon. They're, they're coming in. They're going to be landfall within a half hour. So, yeah, and they do. <laughs> they do that. By evening, the Dwatsi arrive. Um, they come in several ships, dozens of them, and they're sort of like those A-ships, kind of yep. you know, yeah. dropping out, and troops are pouring out hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And you guys are kind of up on the hill, sort of overlooking all of this. You know, the most of your battalion has retreated a little bit further back to their sort of command area. And you and Teller Castle are the last ones there, watching all this happen. Dwatsi sweep through the village. They're going house to house, clearly looking for any survivors. And obviously, they're going to take this village and hold it as like a defensive. Sure, village. yeah, yeah. And they approach the Fennec house, and it goes down exactly like you thought it would. There are a few shots fired from the Fenix, and the house is quickly overrun by professional soldiers who are well armed. The dwarves are an incredibly industrious people. They have really high tech for the time guns. They have reliable weaponry. And, you know, one of the kids had a musket. Like, yeah, yeah. No training. Yeah. Has a musket. Yeah. Why don't you give me a luck check? We'll see how many they tag. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kill one guy <laughs> before, you know, the windows are breached. And you can hear gunfire and a struggle from inside, too. And Teller Castle's hand kind of hits your shoulder and clamps down. And he's got a spyglass, too. And you guys are both just watching. Why wouldn't they come? And he looks like he's going to answer and doesn't. And then you can see the family gets pulled out of the house. Father's been shot, but he's still alive. And they're talking to the guy, gesturing wildly. Hard to know what exactly they're saying. But it's likely they're interrogating where did everyone go, Was the where's the food, where's the money, where's everything in this village. And he spits in the dwarf's face, and they shoot his family. And the dwarf kind of gives him another sort of volley of words, and the George Fennec just kind of you know falls to his knees, dazed, he doesn't answer. And one of the dwarfs just walks up and shoots him in the back of the head. Teller Castle says, because some folks would rather stand and die doing what's right than run from something as vile and unjust as this. Remember this moment, boy. Yeah, I feel like I'm still glued to, like, the George laying on the ground bleeding out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what Morgan shows us. And it's there. It's just disrespectful of the body. They just kind of step over it and don't, you know. Yeah. They don't make a move to bury it or do anything. They take some of the valuables and yeah, as you watch, you're still kind of transfixed, like you said, and, and they're doing exactly what you thought. Stockpiling food up. They're going to turn this into a base and try and hold it as long as you can. Teller Castle says, yes, remember this moment, boy, because there will be justice. Morgan, he will stand beside us. Yes. I have it on good authority. We're getting orders tonight. We're falling back, and we're rejoining the Continental Battalion, and we will make these folks pay for what they've done. Yes. Justice in Morgan's favor. And you see uh, the last thing they're doing is setting up almost like a cook area underneath this big water tower that has a cistern attached to it. And you also know that it will take weeks to fall back and coordinate a counteroffensive with the Continental Battalion. You've seen how slow things can move in the army. Yeah. Folks are dying while generals are deliberating. And you also know from firsthand experience... You might not win a counteroffensive. You've <laughs> lost plenty of them so far. This has been a very even Stephen war. It could also maybe never even happen. So that night, you fall back with the rest of the group into your camp, and Telecastle was right. You guys do get orders from the captain who comes through. He's a sort of wispy man with a big sort of handsome mustache. And he says, we're, we're off in the morning. So tonight, we will rest. We will reconnoiter enemy movement. And we will keep these folks 
safe until we all fall back together and rejoin the Continental Battalion. A few days away. So our scene comes to this point. I have two questions for you. Yeah. How does Just feel watching this injustice against his fellow countrymen? You know, I, I think that this is where Just gets one of his aspects. Because he's very much so focused on the end goal. I like it. <laughs> Goes nicely into the second question. What does Just do? I think that he would march back. He would leave the town. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. He would start thinking, like, bigger at this point. He would even at that point have been starting to tell himself, like, what happened there. Morgan came and justice was served. That family, they chose this, they right? They cast their own sentence. They cast, they, they killed themselves. Uh, Morgan tried to save them and they chose not to be saved. So this is one small thing, but the end goal is Morgan's favor. And we need to find that. And it's not here. And th- he, this will be a, this will be a thing with his character often where he poses as kind of a heroic character but he's very Machiavellian in that, where the end justifies the means. And, you know, he's often plagued by the idea that he wants kind of that nirvana. He wants to get to Morrigan, but his background as kind of a high up socialite and things like that kind of is still in the back of his head. And he often avoids danger and justifies it by like, well, I don't think Morrigan's here. I don't think Morrigan would have me do that, <laughs> right? Uh, and so that I think he would he would leave and he would not worry about that town and he would say you know it fell because it had to to further Morgan's vision. Okay, you fall back and you rejoin the Continental Battalion. It takes weeks and they finally do launch a counteroffensive and you guys lose. right this is the sound of the sabina monster hurting herself for the podcast this is what we're doing for you smash that like and subscribe <laughs> watch as sabina monster rips her ear off like oh, it hurts <laughs> it hurts so we've got this is an important scene it's super it's super serious it is four years later in chanterelle's life she has learned a lot more about the world and the last four years the war has been fairly tough on the world but as your parents predicted quite lucrative it gave a lot it gave your brothers careers in the armed forces all three of them they wound up joining the winged forces the sort of airborne squads of people riding giant eagles and strapping guns onto them and trying to do dogfights stories of aces on both sides coming out what do you think Chanterelle's opinion of the war is? She's 16. She's learned more about it. It's brutal on all sides. It's not just the propaganda of Dwazi invasion anymore. It's, you know, there's been battles fought on Vegas soil. Probably people you know, families you've grown up with, if people die. And I'm like, what, where's she at with it? I think Chanterelle is still, you know, she's still been pretty young throughout the war, like 13, 14, 15. She's mostly been trying to gauge, I think, the reactions of those people around her to see how she should be feeling. And I think thus far, she has just had the patriotic, we're doing what we can for our country, for our cause kind of attitude. And I think, you know, everyone is telling her how proud she should be of her brothers and how they're heroes. And so she is, she's incredibly proud. She wants to join them. She also wants to be in the winged forces. She has an eagle she's been flying regularly with, I think, uh, in the interim. Yeah. You know, her parents, they're doing well. Reaping the benefits of wartime, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. The burdocks have risen to the upper cross. Yeah. And it goes on like that for a few years. Dario is broken, by the way. He's horrified by what's happening out there. And Clintock is like, hoorah. And, you know, Billis sends part of his very small paycheck home and, you know, writes very concerned letters to, uh, you know, mother and father, like reassuring them and candidly talks to you about like 
how difficult the war has been, but how proud he is of his eagle, whose name is Mordecai. And he's confident that he's going to live through the war and your family's making money and... I imagine too that um, my family's like social status is also improved by the fact that they have three sons fighting in the war. Yes, one of whom is becoming an ace too. Yeah. The middle child, Clintock, is like really taking to it. So maybe there's also this aspect then of like, you can't talk bad about the war, Chanterelle. Just shove the dirty bits aside because our business right now is this war. So we're going to talk really positively about it. One day, there's a knock at the door and there's a PTC telegram man there and he's got a special badge on his arm. They've almost become like a unofficial branch of the military. They coordinate tons of communication stuff. And he gives the family, he drops his own artillery shell <laughs> into the Burdock home. And Billis Burdock, sweet, gentle Billis, <laughs> and Mordecai are shot down. It takes them a little while to recover the body and bring it home. And in that week, the family falls to shambles. Yeah. Dario's given leave, and he comes home. And mostly he just sort of sits in a chair looking out the window. Your father's just a blubbering mess. Every time he tries to speak, he can barely finish a sentence without at least tearing up. And your mother is just a raging fire all the time. Blames the army, she blames Vega, she blames the fucking false idols, the stupid saints. Almost more than anyone. What's Chanterelle do? How she take the news? I think Chanterelle is confused. I think she felt assured by everyone in her family that that nothing would happen to her brothers, that nothing would happen to them as a family, that this was good and yes, war is serious, but the outcome was supposed to be good. And I think she's terrified now that she realizes that war being serious is a real thing and not just, you know, something to remind each other of in public. It's happening and it's happening to your family. She's scared for Dario, and also for everyone around her, I think. So she has just now become of age, and she hasn't been drafted yet. More than anything, she's just completely heartbroken, like the rest of her family. I mean, Billis was the one who always looked after her, who she looked up to the most. She really wanted to be like him with Mordecai out there, you know, fighting for justice. Now that was all kind of for nothing in her eyes, um, especially now that, you know, her mother has done a 180 on the war, basically, right? Like, where it was once a boon for their family, suddenly it is this horrible thing. Like, take any of it. Take mm -hmm. the fucking Eagle Ranch from us. Like, we would have paid any cost. Yeah. Other than, like, yeah, the blood of one of our own. I don't think your mother's, like, dumb or that even, like, two-dimensional. I think that she would have had her blinders on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the shocking thing is that it's affecting us yeah. now. I think for the last few days, Chanterelle has been trying to hold her family together in a way, repeating the ethos that she's seen throughout the country. Vega strong. Yeah, Vega strong, exactly. Feeling like there's pressure on her to keep things going for everyone, but then privately, you know, mourning as hard as they are yeah, for sure. Billis. Yeah. Yeah. One day, maybe a few days before the body, like, good news, like a couple of people from the military come and they have a package and it's like from the military and you open it up and there's the last of his paychecks, like the last of his payout and his uniform, which is just like folded up and in there. And of course, a Vega flag. Your mother takes it and snatches it out of the package and throws it in the fireplace. Mom. They have done the same to us, to this family, to my boy. What do you, what do we do? I thought, I thought you said this was going to be good for us. And she cries. I cry with her. Oh, more good news comes to the Burdock family because two other men from the military show up. And they're in fancier uniforms, different uniforms, high collars, the white in the middle. Mm -hmm. They're tellers of the way of the same. And you can see, give me a hope check. Uh, that is a three. Okay, for sure. There are countless sects in the Church of the Way of the Saint. But the two men that come are tellers in the way of St. Heronius of Might and St. Cuthbert of Arms. And they knock and... Are you Mrs. Burdock? I'm Chanterelle 
Burdock, did you want to speak to my mom? May we come in, the other one says. Oh, okay. Ma- mom? You guys gather in your parlor, and they introduce themselves as Captain Teller Larius of Cuthbert and Sergeant Teller Mitchell of Heronius. And they are honored to report that Private First Class Billis Burdock died a hero. He flew with honor and might. I was there, ma'am, he says to your mom. He died a hero. Did he kill their eagles? And they kind of look at each other like, I, we don't, I don't. He killed the riders on their backs. That's what matters. He wouldn't have wanted to kill their eagles. He wouldn't have wanted to die, either. It is a shame he did not kill the two of you, also. Mom! It's all right, one of them says. And he asks her something in Viennese. And kind of talks back at him. And it all happens fairly quick. Give me an awareness check. I would like to spend one on speaks many languages poorly. You get the gist of it. And he says, basically, he's like, grief makes people do crazy things. Mm -hmm. But I assure you, like, he was a good man and he died for a good cause. And she's like, get out. I don't want you here. And the other one kind of clears his throat and says, we have the honor to report that the Vega military would like to bury him in the Royal Cemetery. This is a high honor. Oh. Of course, we accept, your father says. And your mother says, of course we do not. We cannot bury him. And the teller of might, Teller Mitchell, looks at her, and you can see he makes a mental attack against her. And he says, we're not asking. Boom, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in, like physically in between them, and be like, what do you, what do you mean it's not a choice? We can't bury my own brother? I- it's happened with all the rest of them. But- He'd want to be buried with his brothers and sisters in arms. He wouldn't. He, he, we don't, we're Aetherite. We don't bury people. They kind of look at each other. You did recover Mordecai, yes. And this would be an eagle that I think you guys raised. Like, you would know Mordecai, too, just from... And they look at each other and say, we, we were not able to recover the remains of his eagle. What do you mean? They must have been next to each other. We were lucky to be able to get your brother's remains. We weren't able to hold the land long underneath. The Twatsi came hard. We lost. Well, there were a lot of bodies we couldn't bring back. Humes. Bodies that mattered. Yeah, I'll yell back. I'll be like, Mordecai mattered! So give me an ego check then, and this will be the uh, DCS3. You yell at him, and he turns to you with the hard-ass eyes of a man who has walked the life of the gun for years and has clearly killed people. And he says, lower your voice when you talk to me. Okay, so you have six mental stress coming in. And it's just like, you know... You are 12 years old again for a second. Just yeah. like this guy is like fucking super intense. Um, so that's going to be a moderate consequence for me. Everything I know is a lie. <laughs> sure. My view of the army, my view of the wayfinders, my view of the war, of, you know, how we're using the eagles in the war, all just shattered. Yeah, this is just all shaking to the core. And these are priests who are here to be consoling you and honoring your brother and they're basically just telling you like well your mourning doesn't matter we're gonna bury him the way the army wants to bury him you know after sort of this exchange between you and the tellers and you're just kind of like whole world is shattering again your mother puts her hand on your arm and in Viennese just says we wait I would just nod does she do you do anything before this leading up to the scene do you think Chanterelle does anything significant or is it just kind of more of what we've described I think I've gotten into several fights at school. Okay. About, you know, the war, about religion. Arguments uh, or fights? Fights. Okay. Why don't yeah. you just, real quick, just real quick, give me a melee check. Okay. I'm just going to put this real, at a plus one. I'm just going to, this will be like a pose. Just super quick. I'm scrappy. The day of the funeral comes, and it is at the, it's at the military royal summary. Uh, sem- wow. It's at the military cemetery. Oh my, Nords and Gords. It's at the Royal Military Cemetery. Just like they said it would be. The ceremony is headed and jointly run by the sects of Heronius and Cuthbert. Of course, Captain Teller Larius and Sergeant Teller Mitchell are both there presiding. A lot of other servicemen that show up. As the ceremony sort of starts, the tellers walk down. They've got the incense censures they're chanting in the vega tongue which it's not latin because that would be dumb Mm -hmm, totally but it sounds a little like latin so i think i'm wearing like a black cloak like with a hood 
And as the ceremony begins, I'm going to take off my hood. And I have, like, painted um, the Aetherite symbol, like, on my face. Fuck yes. And I'm wearing, like, traditional Aetherite clothing your mom, as well. Can your yeah. mom do this too? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, we've both done it together, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You just, like, uncloak. And she starts, like, a prayer, an Aetherite prayer in the Cyanac tongue. I think for context, my we grew up mostly wayfinder but my mom did teach us about a lot of like aetherite customs and um kind of philosophies plus the kugel yeah of course and you look and this was not a part of the plan well give me an awareness (laughs) okay four your mom's carrying a gun too oh shit and the ceremony starts and she's like you know leading this prayer and you're like oh whoa what are we doing mom the servicemen kind of walk up and sit her down Mm -hmm. you know in the chairs they have lined up and um are like show some respect and they're physically restraining her. And she kind of puts her hand inside her cloak. And you can see he, the guardsman on her, kind of grabs her arm and pulls it out. And he says, sit silently. Kind of whispering, like, quite menacingly into your mom's ear. And she's just kind of, like, <clears throat> silently struggling. And the other guy, uh, I don't think he physically restrains you. But he has his rifle. And he just looks you dead in the eyes. And he says, I will handcuff you if I have to. And you're like, this isn't what I don't think what we came here to do. (laughs) And just sit next to your mother. And she says again in Viennese, we wait. And the liturgy starts. Communion is given. Do you participate? No. Okay. Neither does your mom. (laughs) And your dad, as if he could, is even sunken lower by the fact that you refuse communion. <laughs> Whereas just like the, the rug is taken out from under him. You know, he's just like, there's nothing left. And the last step of it is the committal. A military brass band starts playing a sloppy bad song. It's a 21 gun salute. And when that goes off, Dario hits the deck. And some of the army men come and carry him away. Yeah. And they lower the casket sort of like with ropes underneath it, just like lower the casket down into the ground. Teller Larius stands over it, and he says, We therefore commit this body to the hallows of Palmyra, and sure and certain hope that the soul will rise to the night sky and watch over us as a saint. And then the other one falls to his knees and picks up like a scoop of dirt, says ground to ground, dust to dust, sunrise to sunset, throws it on top of the coffin. That night, it's after the wake, everybody's shattered, the funeral was a fucking disaster. <laughs> Your mother's basically seemed to have gotten so drunk that she sedated herself. Mm-hmm. And you try to talk to her and she barely can't even speak. But you hear something. You're awakened again with a start. And the aspect noises downstairs are in play. Okay. And it sounds like someone is sneaking in or sneaking out. What do you do? I'm going to try to sneak downstairs. Okay. Give me a sneak check. One. <laughs> so you come trying to sneak downstairs, and you come and you see your mother, and she hears someone behind her, and she turns and pulls the gun on you, and she sees it to you, and she kind of puts it up. Go back to bed, she says. What are you doing? She says, I will not dishonor this day in the memory of Billis with a lie. I am going to do the work of the four queens. I'm going to set his soul free. Dig up his body and consecrate it and burn it so that the queens might let it go. And I will kill anyone who gets in my way. Do you honestly think that's what Billis wants? Or is that what you want because you feel guilty? The one who told the biggest lies about this war was you. You do four mental stress with that and she drops. I think she looks down and she says, He believed in the light of the four queens. He believed in you, Mom. He believed you when you said when you said that this war was good for us and that it was just and that this is what the eagles were for. He loved Mordecai and he loved all of them and we're sending all of them, the eagles and our family. We're sending them to die for what? So that we can make more money? I never... I wanted to... I have failed him. But I will not fail him now. Help me, Al. And we can we can change this. We can turn everything around. For Billis, come with me. Set his soul free, and our work can begin. What does Chanterelle do? 
No. It doesn't matter now. He's dead. He doesn't care. He wouldn't care where his body ended up. We should have done something a long time ago. She says, Then I will set this soul free myself. And she elbows past you out the door into the night. <laughs>